People come to the San Francisco Bay Area for many reasons, a spectacular natural setting, a sophisticated lifestyle, and unique professional opportunities. Those seeking these qualities will find all that and more at Hacienda, where you can work, live, and grow. A Hacienda location means having the best of everything within easy reach. Whether it's world-class restaurants, theaters, and museums, the best learning institutions in the country, or some of the finest services available. That particularly applies to businesses wanting the best address to have easy access to needed resources, being among the industry leaders, and knowing that you are part of a region that leads the world in innovation. The result, an unbeatable combination that leads to success, and that is what you will find at Hacienda. Find out more by visiting Hacienda on the web at hacienda.org. Today's conversation takes us back to the hospitality industry, and I have the great pleasure of speaking with Greg Keneally, the CEO of Denver-based Mission Hill Hospitality. Greg's tenure in the industry has taken him from managing groups of hotels for KSL, which helped him springboard into a partnership with this firm to form Mission Hill. The company today is looking to grow its portfolio in the select service extended stay hotel industry, which, as we'll hear, has been doing pretty well since the global COVID-19 pandemic began and is on the target list of many institutional investment organizations. Greg's business is growing, and he's joining us from his office in Denver to share how the industry is changing and how his company looks to build a differentiating advantage from the rest. Welcome to the podcast, Greg. Greg, good morning. How are you? I'm good, Vlad. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Where does this podcast podcast find you? <laughs> I can't seem to find my words this morning. Uh, this morning. I am, uh, where, where are you? I'm in uh, sunny Denver today. Okay, excellent, excellent. Yeah. And uh, tell us a little bit about you know your background and sort of how the you know winding road of uh, your career got you to Denver. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting. So um, I uh, I guess I'll start. Uh, where I entered the sort of the real estate and hospitality industry. So I uh, had the, uh, had the opportunity to go and get my MBA at Kellogg at Northwestern. Uh, went there Great as a school. career. Yeah, it is indeed. Yes. <laughs> as we discovered, uh, we, uh, we both were there at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fellow, fellow Kellogians, right? <laughs> that's right. Um, and you know, I, uh, I went, I went there with the goal of, of getting into the investment side of real estate um, uh, came out of Kellogg and joined LaSalle Investment Management, which is the real estate private equity arm of Jones Lang LaSalle. Um, and, uh, you know, did that for a few years in acquisitions and asset management. And while I really enjoyed it, I, um, I came to understand, uh, at least at a distance, the hospitality sector or the hotel industry as a, as another potential avenue for commercial real estate investing. LaSalle did not uh, have a fund that had that as part of their strategy. So I began networking within the hotel investor space and um, had the good fortune to connect with Lawrence Geller, um, yeah. who at the time was the CEO of Strategic Hotels and Resort, a publicly traded hotel re- based in Chicago that focused in luxury hotels. Um, and uh, uh, would, after months of persistence, networked my way into a meeting with him um, where he essentially said, you know, you, you, you seem like a bright young man, but you don't know, you don't know anything about hotels. <laughs> um, and, yeah. 
And so, uh, you know, he said, look, we're, you know, we're happy to consider you. If you can convince our COO to hire you, you know, it's fine with me. He walked me down the hall and introduced me to Richard Moreau, uh, who uh, ultimately, thankfully for me, became my boss, um, a mentor and, uh, and to this day, a very good friend. Yeah. Uh, Richard became, you know, my, uh, you know, my, my teacher and my tutor and um, taught me the hotel industry. Um, I kind of grew up on the asset management side of his organization. Uh, was there for about six years, uh, survived the Great Recession uh, with sure. them. And then um, it's actually through Strategic that I connected with KSL Capital Partners. Um, they'd done a number of deals together. KSL raised another fund. Um, and actually, Richard connected with KSL's leadership on my behalf uh, to advocate for me for the role, which was incredibly generous of him. Um, I moved to Denver as a result of that with my family um, ten, a little over 10 years ago. I was at KSL. Uh, in their asset management, which is now called the strategic operating team uh, within their group, became head of hospitality, overseeing all their hotel real estate investments and a number of their hotel companies like Davidson Hospitality Group, Outrigger. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, that's kind of how that's kind of how my career in hospitality evolved over the last 15 yeah. or so years. Yeah. I'm happy to dive in deeper or cover other things, whatever's yeah, most yeah. useful. Yeah, what I... What I'd love to ask is, you know, what, you know, go back to sort of that, you know, initial time after business school and, you know, you went to Jones Lang LaSalle, you were interested about the hotel industry. What about the hotel industry at that point you was appealing? Oh, great question. You know, I was enjoying, you know, multifamily and office industrial, the sort of the typical uh, commercial real estate investing. Yeah. But what really struck me about the hotel industry was that, it also had a lot more of the people side, right? The, 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 if you're a leader in the hotel industry, even on the investment side, I mean, leadership, the ability to put together a great team, to lead that team around a common vision is much more prevalent and necessary than, than it is, say, in, a, in an industrial building with a 20-year triple net lease to FedEx or yeah, something. Yeah, interesting. Um, and I also really like the creative side. So strategic um, tended to view their hotels almost like an artist with a canvas and think of, think a lot about sort of the art of the possible and the what ifs and um, you know, what else can we do with the real estate? What else can we do with the space? Should we bring in a new restaurant? What type of restaurant celebrity chef not? Should we expand the spa? Can we change its offerings? Right. How do we, you know, branding, all these different things, renovations, um, you know, at the luxury hotel level, are obviously pretty exciting uh, to be a part of. Sure. And so it was just, I was really drawn to the people side and the creativity uh, that was needed in the in the space, and I mean, really no better organization to see that firsthand and learn it than strategic. Yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting. You know, that's a that's an interesting kind of path towards uh, towards that mission, right? So then you're now in Denver. Uh, the organization that you run now is called Mission Hospitality. Tell us a little bit about you know your your company. Um, kind of what what do you guys do? You know what what areas of the industry do you guys play in? And sort of you know e you know even geographically, you know where where are you? Sure. So Mission Hill Hospitality is an investment group wholly owned by KSL Capital Partners, where I used to work. So we are a we are a platform or a portfolio company of KSL. Um, we yep. were set up uh, to focus exclusively in select service and extended stay hotel investing. So we are we have we have a small team here in Denver. We're actually just down the street from KSL's uh, global headquarters, and our team is focused on finding uh, you know, value add investment opportunities in select service and extended stay hotels. So, as examples, think of residence inns, Hampton Inn, Hilton Garden Inn, Courtyard by Marriott, AC, Moxie, okay. sort of that level of hotel. Um, 
which KSL has been looking at for a number of years. Um, but by virtue of their size, you know, they're quite large. I just didn't see uh, a way to get into the space at scale that they were comfortable with and ultimately decided, um, you know, with some advocacy on my part and several other partners there, that the best approach was to build their own sort of captive dedicated team. So we have acquisitions and asset management as well as sort of all the typical accounting and, and back office functions here, albeit on a very small scale. Um, and we're out aggressively looking for investment opportunities for KSL and its investors. Now, what about uh, sort of that aspect of the hospitality industry was appealing to you guys, you know, versus versus uh, kind of other other parts of it? Um, and then maybe it would be a good way to understand this if 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 you can couch it in sort of you know pre COVID post COVID, if you will, right? Because I'm sure, um, as we'll probably talk about this a little bit, you know, your industry was really turned upside down, kind of went from <laughs> a, from a high to the lowest low to back to the back to a high again. I would argue, right? Um, but, but tell us a little bit of that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, COVID was definitely a, a turbulent time and, and to some extent still is. Thankfully, we've pulled through it and I'm happy to talk more about that. But back to your earlier question. So sort of why, why select service and extended stay? Um, so it, it offers a number of things we, we, and when I say we, I mean, Missional and KSL really like. So the first is that it is a very large investable universe. So at any given year, you know, roughly one third of all the hotel real estate that trades in the United States, broadly speaking, fits into the category of select service and extended stay. What that yeah. means is that there you have a lot of options. So when you're when you decide you want to invest in this space, you have lots of choices. You, know, you have geography, you have brand, you have vintage, you have et cetera, different different things. And so that allows us to be very, very selective. So we like we like that a lot. Uh, additionally, um, you know, select service and extended stay hotels have proven to be the most resilient during economic downturns. You know, they sort of fall the least, um, they were, and they also tend to recover really quickly. Contrast, say, luxury hotels, which, um, you know, in the Great Recession, you know, got hammered and, you know, took four or five years to come back. Um, yeah. So, and, and Greg, if I could take a quick step back, yeah, sorry sure. to, 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 to um, interrupt you, but just, just for the sake of our audience, um, if, if you can distinguish sort of what makes a select service extended stay hotel versus the you know, full service and luxury, how, how do they um, you know, delineate, if you will? Sure thing. So it's, it's primarily delineated along, along two, two, two main variables. The, the most obvious uh, from the outside perspective would be sort of the, the, sort of the finish or, the, or the, the sort of the caliber of the product, right? There's, yeah, think of, think yeah. of the Four Seasons guest room versus the courtyard guest room. Right. The, the Four Seasons, you know, the, the amazing bed and all the opulence and the Egyptian threaded cotton and the five fixture, six figure bath, et cetera. The courtyard room, by contrast, is very nice. It's got everything you need, but sort of nothing else that you don't. So it's a little bit more no frills in terms of the product. Uh, yeah. So um, and then then the other piece of it, which is really attractive from an economic operating model perspective, is that it's a very selective or limited in the services that it offers. So at a typical hotel that we invest in, you know, there'll be a, there'll be a, a very tiny grab and go, um, you know, that might be the size of a couple of phone booths uh, in the yeah. morning. There'll be a fairly, fairly basic, but nice breakfast offering. And, you know, some hotels, but not all will have a, a fairly modest bar where you could, you know, you could grab a cocktail or a light bite to eat in the evening. Um, it'll have a fitness center and that's about it. Right. Contrast that with a Westin hotel where you can have your corporate event for 500 people. You could have a wedding sure. because they've got ballrooms. You can get room service. There's a concierge. There's a bellman and a valet. 
Um, right. There's just a number of other services. You can have your dry cleaning done overnight. There's just a number of other services that are offered, um, which is which creates a more uh, pampered experience and thus the higher price point. Yeah, makes sense. So I interrupted you. No, so let's okay. get back to the kind of COVID, pre-COVID, post-COVID sure. um, so, appeal of this asset class, right? Yeah. So pre-COVID, um, I think most investors really like select service because uh, because of that, because of the of the efficiency of the operating model, um, you get a pretty pretty high margin uh, yeah. in this business, and which and that becomes really really nice because your your cash yield is, is is higher than it would be in a luxury hotel. Sure, right? These are less these are less labor intensive. They're less capital intensive, and so you get a better cash on cash return, which is which is appealing to uh, to a slice of the investment world. And so that was that was always sort of on our mind. Um, and we're also seeing that the guest experience within select service, particularly at the, the higher end of select service, think of the newly renovated or the brand new product that's coming to the market in the last five or six years, that guest experience is pretty great, right? Um, and, and contrast that with, you know, in, in many markets, right, you've got, the, you've got the brand new, you know, AC hotel or the brand new element, uh, and it's sitting next to, you know, a 30-year-old Marriott or a 30-year-old Hyatt or Sheridan. And a lot of guests right. were choosing the brand new select service product over the older full service. So we saw that change in the guest preference and their behavior, which we was attracting us as well. And so, you know, we COVID created a, a bit of an opportunity. It was sort of the great reset for a lot of people to think about what else they should be doing personally, professionally, in our case, from an investment perspective. And we just said, look, we really need to go back and take a look at this space and figure out how to get in at scale. And that's what yeah. prompted the ultimately the decision to well let's launch our own team, um, and you know and and sort of at this point we've got you know thirteen hotels that we own and you know hopefully another four or five will close here by the end of January so we're yeah. we're off to a good start. Um, the, the the difference sort of within the sector pre post COVID is you know there's a couple of facets to it. One right in a post in sort of a post COVID or at least post vaccine world. The labor market's really, really tight, right? Every yep. business is trying to find people, right? Our select service hotels, you know, can operate, you know, depending on the asset, being insured between, call it 12 on the low end and, you know, 20-ish, maybe a little bit more on the high end in terms of full-time employees or full-time equivalent employees, FTEs. And so, yep. you know, contrast that to some of some big full-service luxury resort type products that, you know, they might need five, six, seven hundred people to run yeah. those hotels. And so... um, you know, we can get by with less, um, which and still deliver value to our guests, which you know makes it an attractive place to stay, yeah. makes it a profitable hotel to own. So we're loving that that quick recovery. We have a number of assets that are in drive to leisure markets, like the Florida Panhandle, like Cape Cod, uh, out in Truckee, uh, which is near Squaw Valley. Um, those hotels are doing really, really well as as lots of people are you know taking advantage of of their time and money to to go on vacation to travel. And so we're seeing great performance in those assets. Um, you know, the more business-oriented assets are taking a little longer to come back, uh, but the ones we've got are, you know, are sort of off to a strong start. So we're really encouraged by that. Yeah, and you mentioned that you noticed kind of a, a you know a consumer kind of behavior change. Sort of, they were going to the newer. Um, hotel that had fewer services to offer, but that's where they were sort of gravitating towards versus, you know, even a full service, but, but you know, older. Was was the, the, the age the only sort of variable here? 
or this just consumer behavior is changing in a sense that they don't necessarily need as many of the services that were offered previously. Where, where, where do you think some of those drivers were coming from? Yeah, insightful question. Uh, the, the answer is both. So, you know, think about the most obvious, right? Most people don't need a concierge anymore. Their concierge is on their, is, is their phone, which is in their pocket, right? Right. Uh, right. As a simple example, uh, room service is less important when you can sort of Grubhub or Uber Eats the food from any restaurant within a reasonable radius to your hotel lobby, or in certain cases, even to your, even to your guest room door. So people are just becoming by virtue of technology, more self-sufficient. And, and I think that's a piece of it. I think that the, you know, the price gap between that full service and that select service hotel is probably similar to where it was before, but the select service operators um, have up their game. Right. And so, you know, there used to be, you know, 20 years ago, there was a pretty big difference between the quality of that guest room. But yeah. today, um, you know, that it's just not as significant, right? I mean, it, you've got a, you've got a much more comfortable bed than you would have 20 years ago. That is very nice. It's maybe it's not quite Weston's heavenly bed, but it's pretty close. Sure. <laughs> right. Right. And right, you know, right. it's not quite as good of a shower, but it's pretty close. The fitness center yeah. in some cases is as good or better. And so then the guest says, Hmm, you know, is it worth the, premium for me to stay at the full service hotel versus staying at this select service hotel. And obviously many people decide the answer to that is yes, but a lot of them decide the answer is no. And that works to our benefit. Sure. So you're in Denver, but you guys are investing throughout the country. Uh, you know, tell us how do you, how do you, you know, look at that? Where, where do you go first? And you know, what are the things that matter to you guys as you guys consider which markets to enter? Yeah, so uh, by virtue of uh, our backing and affiliation with KSL, we have the benefit of pursuing a national strategy, yeah. um, which means that at any given time, we're comparing investment opportunities in multiple geographies at the same time, and, and then hopefully doing doing our job of, of selecting which opportunities offer the best compelling sort of risk-adjusted return. But um, so that's sort of the macro statement. It, it, drilling down a little deeper, what we like we like geographies that – that fall into one of sort of three categories. I mentioned the first one earlier, which was drive to leisure. So we really, KSL has been investing in, 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 in sort of resort leisure driven hotel real estate for 30 years. They've done incredibly well. And so that DNA runs deep and we're continuing to pursue that. Hence the, some of the locations I mentioned earlier, and we'll, we will continue to do that. So beach destinations, ski towns, national yeah. parks all, and, all, and everything in between. Um, we really, really like that. We think we know how to operate in those markets really well. We know how to attract that customer. And so that, you know, our playbook kind of transitions over. Um, the other one we like, um, is, and this is sort of universal, I guess, but what we call growth MSAs. So these are cities where the, the demographic trends, the economic trends are providing a little bit of a rising tide lift all boats effect. Okay. Right. Okay. Denver's a fantastic example of that. Unfortunately, we haven't, we haven't gotten a deal done here yet, but but we'll, <laughs> we're, but not for lack of trying. But we really right. like we really like markets where that dynamic is happening. Uh, you know, we've invested in Durham, we've invested in Atlanta uh, as two you know as two examples of that. We've invested in Savannah, which is another example of that. So we like those types of markets, and then uh, we also we're also. Uh, uh, targeting what are called GEM markets, GEM, uh, which is an acronym for government, education, and medical. Okay. So um, as an example, we have the residents in, in Norfolk, Virginia, which is immediately adjacent to the largest Navy base in the United States. 
we have a, we have an AC hotel just off Duke's campus um, as another example. So we really like those markets uh, as well. They have very steady demand drivers, uh, you know, which are a bit more recession proof, right? The Navy is still putting heads in beds in Norfolk, whether the economy is up or down as a, as an example. So sure. collectively we're the goal would be to end up with a, with a large portfolio that offers diversification to its investors by geography, by brand, by hotel vintage, and then also by demand driver. Yeah, yeah. So, Greg, as an investor class, I mean, this has become, uh, you know, one of the targets for some big institutional players also. You know, can you comment a little bit about sort of how that's been evolving and, um, you know, w- what the appeal to, uh, you know, big investors like a Blackstone or a Starwood might be for for something like this? Sure. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The hotel hotel real estate has, over probably the last 20, 25 years, increasingly become, you know, sort of institutional quality or sort of institution approved, if you will. Um, and I think that started at sort of the luxury and full service levels. It's making its way into select service. You know, for, frankly, I view that as unfortunate um, because it means <laughs> I've got I've got more competition. Um, sure, sure. <laughs> but I think the investment community has has come to understand the value of certain types of select service assets in certain markets. Um, you know, where the where the physical quality of the product and the and the reliability of the cash flows are such that you know uh, that institutional investors find them appealing. The, yeah. the difference I would say between our approach and that of some of the larger PE groups you mentioned is, you know, when the, and they're of actually, frankly, even larger scale than KSL Blackstone, obviously substantially so. But you know, when they identify an investment opportunity in hotels or or anything else for that matter, you know, they invest generally speaking at a at a, at a massive scale. And and which is incredibly impressive, and it served them obviously very very well. Um, we we took a decidedly different approach. So rather than buying twenty, thirty, fifty select service hotels all at once and getting some gems and frankly some dogs in that portfolio, we've yeah. decided to take more of a brick by brick approach to building out our our business. And so we're tending to buy our assets one at a time, two at a time. Um, you know, in one case a three pack, but. Um, but our view is that each individual hotel has to stand on its own merits. Um, but then we can, then, but then we also have to be mindful of portfolio construction, right? How does this, sure. how does this new potential investment fit in to the broader picture of the group? And what we're hoping um, is that by having each asset stand on its own, but then offering the diversification that comes with the portfolio that ultimately when we go to exit, we'll be able to achieve a premium valuation for the assemblage yeah. of the quality that we're putting together you know, where our average hotel is less than five years old, you know, where our average rev par using 2019 is, you know, around $120. And, you know, just the markets that we're picking, um, you know, are, are um, you know, are attractive, just sort of on a, you know, at a, at a distance, people recognize, you know, they understand where Savannah is, they understand Atlanta, they understand Durham, they yes, understand, right? right. They, these are institutional quality markets, a lot of, a lot of the select service and extended stay hotels, um, you know, our, our roadsides, you know, in, in rural communities. And th- those are actually also can be very good investments, but they're not as institutional. And so we're, we're leaving those to the smaller local and regional groups. And we're trying to focus on, you know, on a portfolio that has that institutional appeal, particularly if we can get it to scale. Yeah. Do you have an appetite for development also? We will. We've talked already about the possibility of having that become a portion of our, you know, a piece of our strategy. Um, oh, interesting. You know, my view today is that, you know, we've still got a lot 
to to set up, learn, uh, and kind of get under our belt uh, with yep. with the acquisition process, with the asset management process, with finding the right operating companies to manage the hotels, et cetera. Um, you know, I want to get that all really dialed in uh, before we expand into uh, into development. But I think it's a it's a very logical extension of the business, particularly in select service, where many of the larger owners um, in the space got there by developing, you know, developing on their own book. And so, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's, it wouldn't be unreasonable at the right point to find an institutional quality development partner um, and, uh, and to do that. But I think it will be a, I will be, it will be a secondary piece uh, of the strategy for us at most. Yeah. And, uh, you know, arguably, uh, you know, that part of the business, you know, development is a very different kind of a business than yes. operating a hotel, hotel as well. So, you know, you know, getting those chops is not that easy, right? I mean, you have to sort of, you know, make sure you do it right. Uh, from kind of an operational point of view, um, you know, the industry is, you know, not just your industry, but I think overall the economy is struggling with, uh, you know, employment. Yes. Uh, I think that's still is uh you know you know a very big issue in the hospitality industry also um how are you guys faced with that what's what's happening uh on you know your end there yeah it's been very difficult um you know a lot of a lot of our employees uh, you know were, were were laid off um obviously during the pandemic uh, which was very difficult for for them and their families um many of them found other other jobs uh, and other industries out of necessity, and you know, good for them. And but unfortunately for us, you know, many of them have decided that whatever they're doing now is is what they're going to keep doing, rather than coming back, um, you know, to our hotels um, in a line level role. And, yeah. um, and you know that that's that's unfortunate for us. Um, that said, you know, we have made a very conscious choice. I mean, KSL made a very conscious choice as an example to to try and, um, and go sort of above and beyond with regards to the employees in terms of benefits and severance and, you know, food banks and all these things to try and help people during the pandemic. And that served them really well and being able to hire back faster than the average hotel ownership group. Um, and so what we've done at Mission Hill is, is try and look for management companies whose sort of culture and quality and caliber um, and philosophy lined up with that. So what I mean is, we, we, you know, there are hundreds of management companies that will, will gladly run your hotel for a fee. Uh, we've been incredibly selective in picking the ones we think are the highest quality. But one of the lenses through which we evaluate that is culture and employee retention and employee relations. And so what we're, what we're finding is that the best groups that took the same long-term approach with their employees during the pandemic are the ones that are, that are able to hire back the, the better talent faster. And so that's working yeah. to our advantage with our hotels. Additionally, we, we've, we're sensitive to certain issues within that population, and so we've implemented certain things like same-day pay, right? So one of the attractions – some of our hotels, not all, but we're working on it. One of the options is, you know, you come and you do your shift as a housekeeper. You know, we can, we can get you paid at the, end of the, at the end of your shift instead of waiting two weeks for that paycheck. Yeah, and, and that was going to be a follow-up question. You know, what operationally, you know, are some of the trends, things that are changing, you know, things like that, that, that you feel are going to be kind of a – new standard, if you will, in how hotels are operated. Yeah. Well, you know, necessity is, a, is the mother of invention and, and boy, yeah. did, boy, did we have need over the last two yeah. years. And so I think uh, several things were happening. I mean, the, the, the fact that it was a pandemic, which, which really pushed people towards social distancing and touchless, uh, I think was a, was a much needed sort of kick in the pants to the hotel industry when it relates to things like, 
you know, contactless check-in, you know, you check in over your phone, use your phone to, to access your room, right? Uh, use right. your phone to pay your valet at the parking, whatever. Like all of those things were, that technology has existed for, for years. The hotel industry is generally speaking a slow adopter, right? So that the safety needs um, around the pandemic uh, created an impetus for that, which I think, you know, frankly improves guest experience. It lowers the need for labor. It makes the cost structure of the hotel more efficient. Um, you know, in some portion that gets, gets passed on to the guests in terms of additional value that's offered or, you know, price savings on the, you know, on the, on the cost of the room. So that's, yeah. that's one piece of it. Um, another thing is we've just gotten better technologically at, at staffing and managing those shifts, you know, looking through other, other ways to be more efficient with how we're staffing, how it's keeping, how we're organizing them, the tools we're giving them to be successful, how we're setting up the stewarding and the laundry and all those things operationally to, to see where there are opportunities to save time, uh, save time, save energy, make it easier for them. Um, but the, but the, you know, the other piece of the puzzle there, right. And this is, this is an ongoing push pull with the brands is, you know, many hotels now, um, you know, we're not offering daily housekeeping except upon request. Um, you know, it, at extended stay hotels, you know, instead of coming in once every three days, they're coming in once every five, six or seven days. Um, okay. you know, if you want, if you want to change out your, you know, your linner, your Terry, you call and they'll do it upon request as opposed to doing it programmatically. So there's been a reduction of certain services um, that that most guests don't seem to mind. And yeah. um, and if they yeah. do, if they do feel the need for for something, you know, it's a simple phone call uh, and it's at your door in five minutes. So um, that's some of the ways the technology piece, uh, I think, is probably the most important. And then the other is sort of the efficiency the efficiencies that we've found in the operating model um, and, and like the food stuff, you know, the food delivery is another one we talked about, right? Does it, does it make sense for me to fully staff sure. my hotel restaurant that will probably in many cases be break even at best when I can offer my, you know, I can just make it easier for my guests to offer from the 10 restaurants in my neighborhood makes me a better neighbor, provides better value to my guests and lowers my operating costs all at the same time, sort of win, 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 if you will. So we're always yeah. looking at those types of options. Yeah. Have you found the operational efficiencies to be significant? And and maybe that's a sort of, you know, a, you know, relative term, what is significant, but, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, 10%, yeah, yeah, the, 20%. The, right? Yeah, the qualitative answer is yes. The, it, the, the quantitative answer would be more in that, you know, I guess, you know, when we get back to the same, uh, same occupancies and rate, you know, I think yeah. the margin improvement that I'll get is after netting out the rising cost of labor, it's probably a couple, two, three hundred basis points. So it's not yeah. massive, um, yeah. but 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 it probably would be if the labor rates were the same. But that that the, the you know the the cost of labor is going up, and so that's eroding into it. But the flip side is, if we hadn't found those efficiencies, the labor labor costs go up. Boy, we'd be in trouble. Right. Yeah. So, Interesting. Uh, yeah. so the fact that we're getting that is, is really valuable. And, and frankly, you know, at a company, even at our scale, never mind what I hope will be our future scale, you know, a few hundred basis points in EBITDA margin, you know, multiplied over many hotels over a long period of time, you know, is, is obviously significant, significant um, incremental return to our investors. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, some technological, you know, mm -hmm. not necessarily innovations, but adoption, if you will, is probably a better way to, you know, Correct. phrase this. Are, are you and are, are, are you noticing the brands are, you know, requesting some of these technological up, upgrades or is it still driven sort of by you guys because it provides them operational efficiency and, and distinction in the in the market overall? 
Yeah, respectfully, I would suggest that most of that, most of those types of innovations or the push for it tends to come either from owners or from guests and, 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 and less often from the brands themselves. Yeah. Uh, they just, the, 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 I mean, frankly, the sort of the motivation and the structure and the incentives are just, are just vastly different. You know, brands, right. Br- right. Just to, just to pick on Marriott because they're the largest, right. Marriott makes money as a percentage of revenue into a given hotel, right? So whether that hotel is profitable or not, you know, economically in the, you know, the way the contracts are set up, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really impact Marriott all that much, right. um, but it impacts, right. it impacts owners, obviously, to an incredible degree. And so owners tend to be the ones who are most resourceful at looking for opportunities for cost savings or revenue, revenue enhancements. Um, and, uh, and then it becomes, you know, their job through some of these owner councils that Marriott Hilton Hyatt and others have set up to just sort of say, Hey, look, you know, here's an opportunity we see to do things differently. We think it's, you know, neutral to positive to the guest experience. And then, then the debate starts about whether whatever that change is, is or isn't quote unquote on brand. Um, right. And, right. uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, are the little soap bottles on brand versus the dispenser in the shower? Well, if you're environmentally conscious, the answer is yes. If you're thinking more luxury and you have a certain dated mindset, maybe the answer is no. So, sure, um, as sure. a stupid example. Um, so right. anyway, the yeah. debate rages, but, but, uh, you know, slowly but surely we evolve. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Interesting. Um, so, uh, you know, Greg, if, if you look at, you know, your company, what is a, you know, how do you differentiate, right? What, what, what is the sort of aspect of how Mission Hill does its work, uh, that, you know, makes it different from the rest of the industry? Yeah. Great question. You know, I think, um, I think it's a combination of several things. Uh, one would be, you know, we're, uh, we slash I are trying very hard to bring to Mission Hill certain things out of KSL's DNA that have, you know, that have really enabled KSL's success uh, over a very, very long period of time. Um, and, you know, one of those, um, probably one of the most dominant, frankly, um, is bringing a tremendous level of discipline and rigor to their investment process, right? So, I mean, I, you know, I can recall uh, being part of a team trying to convince our investment committee, uh, including our chairman to, um, you know, to buy this resort in Southern California, Um, you know, it was a little bit inland. And so we had to, we had to get weather data to show that it would be sunny there. Um, (laughs) Okay. Right. Which, which on some level is is silly, right? It always gets a chuckle, but it was our chairman's way of saying, look, you will diligence the heck out of every conceivable variable risk in this deal, or I will not give you the thumbs up. And that was a real eye-opening experience for me. And so, um, and I remember it fondly, although at the time it was kind of painful. Um, so what we're trying to do here is be just incredibly selective and it, and it, and it can be exhaustive, right? Which is why, um, you know, we, we try very hard to be equally selective with the, with the individuals that we hire, right. And making sure they're of, you know, obviously the great experience and expertise, but also sort of have the right cultural fit, the right, you know, the right caliber of sort of IQ, EQ, et cetera, disposition uh, to be able to, to pursue things with that level of rigor and discipline day after day after day. So we will prioritize quality over velocity. And I, I think a lot of people say that. We really mean it. I mean, the number of hotels that we could have bought but chose not to for a myriad of reasons, right, is, is in the dozens um, and maybe more. And so I think that that is a key factor. 
Um, I think the other one is, is is the is what I mentioned earlier, which is just given our access to capital, uh, you know, many organizations would just simply buy in bulk. But I think yeah. that our um, and it, we'll look, we may ultimately find the portfolio someday that we we feel strongly enough to buy. But but a plan A for us is that is building building it brick by brick, right? We're hiring the team one at a time. We're being incredibly selective. They in turn are then helping me to identify which you know we're going to look at. We're going to look at. In the last month, like we looked at sixty hotels, we closed on one. So, yep. um, we're, you know, we're, that that carries forward through, right? And then our asset management team is going to look at every nickel and every dime and figure out how to, you know, push for that incremental revenue, push for that incremental cost savings, and the cumulative effect of all that over a long period of time should be a sort of above market return to our investors, and um, and frankly, yeah. um, 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 an incredibly rewarding career opportunity for the for the people who are here. Yeah, 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 of course, of course. And so you you mentioned you looked at, you know, 60 hotels, you bought one, you know, how many deals are you guys hoping to close in the next, you know, 24 or 48 months? Uh it's it's tough to say. I mean, our 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 current um our current pace uh you know, if that were to continue, um that's a big if, um yeah. would be, you know, sort of 15 hotels a year. Um but that's that's I would caveat that by saying, you know, if we if we find if we continue to find you know, great, compelling value add investment opportunities that are fundamentally good sure. real estate, et cetera. Sure. Then, then yes, we'll continue at that pace, or, or it could even go faster. Um, you know, if we, if we continue to find them, and if we don't, that's fine. You know, K- KSL is um, is incredibly patient um, and obviously well capitalized, so we can we can be we have the luxury of being very patient. You know, and if and if some period of time goes by without us making an investment, because we're being super disciplined, then that's okay. Um, obviously, the expectations that we you know, we continue to hustle to find deals wherever we can. But I would say it's yeah. roughly in that range. So I, I want to close this off by kind of asking a question about, you know, trends in the industry, but that's kind of a trite question. So I want to, you know, couch it slightly di- di- differently. You know, uh, you know, imagine, you know, Vlad and Greg back in their, you know, Kellogg days. Oh, geez. We're entering sort of the second half of our second year here now, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're worried about where we're going to send our resumes and who's going to interview us, right, in the next couple of months. Um, what do you think would be kind of a, you know, a positive, optimistic message for somebody like that? And not necessarily an MBA, but just, you know, people in general who are looking to kind of, you know, enter, you know, commercial real estate in some, some way, right? Um, why would you tell them go into hotels? Oh, geez. Um, (laughs) no no pressure. No, I mean, honestly, the the honest (laughs) answer to me is it's just, it's just the most fun. Um, I, yeah, tell I, us I mean, about I, that. I am I am incredibly blessed to wake up every day and come to a job I love, um, and the, the reason I like it is is part of what I said before, right? I mean, it's you've got sort of the analytical part, you've got the creative part, um, and it's just so it's very invigorating to, to to kind of you know buy a given hotel, to renovate it, reposition it, change the team, whatever, and then kind of look at the before and after pictures, and it's pretty dramatic yeah. changes, yeah. right? And whether you're looking at the at the picture of the lobby or you're looking at the P and L, hopefully the the changes are dramatic in both cases. But for me, honestly, it, it comes down to the people. Um, you know, most people who are in hospitality, whether they're a front desk agent or an investor like me, have a genuine passion for the business. Um, you know, and many of them have the talent to, to work in any number of industries in any number of roles. But they choose hospitality because they have a passion for service. They have a passion for travel. Um, you know, they have a passion for investing in things that are tangible, right? The bricks and mortar you can see and touch instead of a blip on a screen. Right. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. we're, we're getting applications from people who are burned out of the hedge fund industry, which is kind of funny to me. So um, 
it's that interaction and that people part that, uh, that invigorates me. And I think my colleagues as well. And, um, it just makes all the, uh, all the long days and all the meetings and all the conferences and all the travel, um, frankly, just a lot more fun. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Greg, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so oh, much for you. giving us a peek into your uh, operations and, uh, you know, stay well and uh, happy holidays. Oh, thanks very much, Fad. I really enjoyed it. Happy holidays to you and your family as well. Thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry, and we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business.